1: Charlie, Charlie,
0: Charlie. Charlie, 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 Charlie. Hello, and welcome to another unexpected C- and C- certainly unprepared C- Roger Report C- podcast, C- where we are reacting R- to a video which has circulated C- on social media this afternoon featuring our dear old friend, Charlie Methvin. I'm your host, Craig, and joining me this evening is Rich Spate and Chris Wynn. Gentlemen, how are we?
2: Uh, not so bad, not so bad. A uh, bit out of breath, busy afternoon, but. Uh good to be speaking to you man
3: yeah and same here Forty with the kids in the garden knackered like i said at the uh the top of the
0: pod there it is perhaps an unexpected and unprepared one because as per sunderland's actions of late things just immediately drip feed out and lo and behold social media goes into an absolute frenzy so we'll do our best to certainly react on our immediate feelings of what's happened today but for those unaware uh, Charlie appeared on a YouTube video interview over a month ago. Now, you can search for this under the name Sports Stories, the Charlie Methvin story. Now, my early assumption is that someone has perhaps stumbled upon this purely by chance because this YouTube account only has 18 subscribers and most of the videos have less than 10 views. So what he's doing appearing on one of those videos, I have absolutely no idea. Uh, but what we are reacting to as such is comments that Charlie Methvin has once again made towards the Sunderland fans, which is certainly not a true reflection of, well, basically who we are and what we represent. Um, We'll touch on the initial ones first. Uh, Basically, Charlie Methven is more or less telling this gentleman uh, that basically Sunderland fans have called for the heads of the last five owners, uh, which is certainly not a true reflection of events. But like I said, that seems to be Charlie's views. And like I said, we'll just digress a little from there and and obviously go into it a little bit further. But before we do jump in, I'm just going to refer you to a statement released by the Red and White Army a little over a week ago when they spoke with CEO Jim Rodwell and Tom Sloans, where it said that the club expressed a desire for a fresh start and the club stated that it wants to build bridges with fans and listen to them. Tom Sloans is keen to see communications improve and he feels that repairing the damaged relationship with fans is important and there are lots of people at the club who want to do things better uh, Rich, I'll come to you first. For a supposed desire for a fresh start, they're really not after a good start and repairing things, are they?
2: Well, no, and 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 like you said, Craig, obviously this was recorded uh, uh, a few weeks back, but it, it does chime with other statements that Charlie has come out with, especially since Christmas. Um, he, he did a, an interview with uh, BBC Newcastle's Breakfast Team. I think he's done a couple of them where um, he's he's been given the. Ability to set out his stall in relation to the the comments that were made in the yet to be released or yet to be agreed minutes from the Red White Army meeting, uh, where he described Sunderland fans as incredibly uneducated in terms of business, and he described those as uh, as as the kind of PR guff that um, that corporates will come out with. And the main thing I think that's riled a lot of the fans from this video is his claim that a fan group, and I think. Uh, by that, he must be referring to Red and White Army. Yeah. Was responsible, essentially, for, for Stuart Donald's decision to sell the club. He specifically said, A fan group. Now, he was only referring to Red and White Army. Had called on the last five owners to go. That fan group was created in 2017. He's nah, it's,
3: he's, it's, uh, he's, he's just... He hasn't... You really <coughs> think he's... I don't know if you think he's more intelligent than he is. I, I genuinely think he's not that intelligent.
2: Honestly, man. Mate, this is whitewashing of history as far as I'm concerned because we all know that Charlie Methen and Stuart Donald and Juan Satori were trying to sell the club this time last year to yeah. Mark Campbell and all of the problems that was caused in terms of our prep for pre-season with that and then to the FPP, to the Delboys, on right in the summer. He's been trying to sell this club for at least 12 months, if not longer, and to claim that it was the Donald out campaign and if people have been listening to the pod long-term will know that I wasn't absolutely behind that campaign when it first came out between Christmas and New Year, mainly because of my view that we needed a bit more of a plan and we needed something to replace or something in place to, uh, to ensure that the fans at least had a voice in whatever new ownership takes over. But it's a rewriting of history to say that it was Red and White Army, a Love Supreme, Wise Men Say and Rook Report statement on the 27th of December that caused the club to to be put up for sale it was already quite clearly up for sale and methven seems to be hell-bent on on using this gaslighting tactic of of basically trying to get us to doubt our own history and our own understanding of the sequence of events that have that have played out at the club over the last 12 months i think it's disgraceful to be honest
0: one thing i would just kind of touch on really is Charlie Methven came out in January and had to apologise uh, for comments like you've alluded to there, Rich, about, you know, uneducated fans and things like that. And he stated at that, that time that it did not accurately reflect his real views. And he described it as an off-the-cuff remark that he regretted. But starting to look like this is actually his real views, that he holds us in quite a disdain.
3: Charlie Methven, you know, he, he can't help himself. You know, that's, that, that's the type of fella he is. He's... Uh... He he just loves the attention. I mean, look at look at Netflix, he just can't stay quiet. Even when he's kind of part removed from the club for saying something stupid, he comes along and says something stupid.
2: It's this suggestion that we're somehow unique in terms of our whininess or whinginess or a, how reactive we are, you know, and and it being you know, a reactionary fan base that can't see the long-term picture. We do see the long-term picture. We're the ones who are in it for the long term. Mm-hmm. And I I really do see Methven as one of these people who's well-schooled in a a tactic we're all becoming very familiar with in in the UK and elsewhere of divide and rule. Because what he was trying to do in that statement that he made on, on the YouTube video that's been circulating today is to try and create a divide between the fans. Now, we weren't all in line behind the December 27th statement, as I've said. I was sceptical, but for reasons that were slightly different to other people. But what he's trying to do in terms of saying he had thousands of letters saying that, um that, you know, Roker Report and uh, Red and White Army, I Love Supreme and Wise Men say, don't speak for us. This is a line we've seen, we've had thrown at us right from the beginning. And I've written about how we don't speak for all fans, we speak for ourselves, we're independent fan media. And to try and create a divide within what is at the minute quite a united front within the Sunderland supporter base of we've had enough of these people with the season card refund issue etc etc we've had enough and what I see these as tactics as doing is trying to create doubt and division in what is an increasingly united supporter base.
3: But Rich can I just come in there I mean do you think it's actually him being malicious with this and really calculated or do you think He's just someone who, who, who can't stay quiet and just keeps talking until he says something ridiculous.
2: He seems to have a, a liberal attitude with, with the truth. Again, this is something we're becoming increasingly familiar with. And to be quite purposeful in what he does. This is a somebody who claims to be a PR man, a political communications expert. Now, I come from a, a political communications background myself to a certain extent. This is classic. So, no, I do think it's purposeful. I don't think Charlie Metford is a... Necessarily a, a, a bad man. I think he is a product of the industries in which he uh, has built his career, which has been in the right wing media and in public relations, and yeah, and government relations. And 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 I see this as as absolutely classic.
3: Yeah. Because the other thing I was going to say was, I mean, you talk about him twisting the truth, you know. But you know, just to play devil's advocate for a second, you could argue that what happened in December ramped up the calls for them to sell up because before then. You know, just, they just, they were kind of coming in the fallout of appointing Phil Parkinson. It, it all kind of came to a point at the Bolton game on, on Boxing Day, yeah. I think it was. And that's when it really kicked off. And obviously, it was events on the field, which, again, would from decisions that were driven by them, you know, to, to pull the trigger on Jack Ross, which divided, you know, it was kind of 50-50 with a fan base. And then bringing Parkinson in, which probably wasn't 50-50 with a fan base. Every, quite a lot of people thought made, they made an error there. And then they went on that run. And all the blame went on the ownership, which, I, and I'm not saying that's wrong. But in December, you could say, okay, they might have been trying to sell the club before then. But I do think that they thought through results that they could turn that around, and they just they were buying time. And they thought it was almost like a last door of the dice with Parkinson. And then, as I said, the events in December kind of started ramping that up. It wasn't it wasn't the trigger, which I think the Mefan said in the interview. But I do think it sped it up from that point.
2: Well, I mean. You're absolutely right that it did ramp it up. It was timed, yeah, after the Bolton match. I left the stadium after the Bolton match, absolutely seething. And I think 99% of the people in the ground wanted Parky gone and and the ownership to change. So, I mean, I really think that we're being played to a certain extent in this, in that they've burned through, they've burned through all of the, the goodwill and trust that they'd built up over the first 11 months of their tenure, it had been burnt through. They'd used it all up and it came to a head. And that's where the fan group and the independent fan media got together and, and put that statement. As I say, I, d- I didn't necessarily agree with the way it was put out and the lack of a plan beyond them selling. And I think that's something that that we need to really work on now. But um, I do think you're right that they'd been trying to build bridges at that point or they've been trying to give it another go after the fpp sale didn't go through and they'd got the nine ten million quid in the bank they thought they could give it another go and have another push from january to get us promoted obviously they didn't know that the covid was gonna come and throw that up in the air It, it, it was a accumulation of um frustrations and i think by claiming that it was only that statement coming out of the blue supposedly in december uh, with no context, that what he's trying to do is divide us.
0: I mean, I, th- I think it's fair to say, and you've both touched on this, that the, there were plenty of things really that weren't, you know, conducive to Sunderland's chances of promotion. Obviously, a global pandemic being the, uh, the the final nail in the coffin, if you like. But there was so much involvement in the whole thing: uh, managers, as you mentioned, players, owners, and and to imply that the views of a group of fans you know getting in the way of a successful season and that seemed to be the, the their kind of defence if you like what they were saying at the time it was somewhat disingenuous and and as you've alluded to Rich maybe a bit more uh, of a deliberate attempt to shift blame for the desperate state that we're really in Um, just after Christmas you've both kind of touched on the subject there about you know if if results on the pitch you know begin to improve does that maybe kind of take our attention away from from the background affairs from what's going on in the club if, for example, uh, it certainly doesn't look like we're going to be sold anytime soon, but if we kick off next season and go on a, you know, a really good run of form, do you think that this will be put to the background again? Do you think fans will forget about everything that's been going on so far, or do you think this is this is kind of set in stone now
3: that the majority want these out? I think it already has. I think uh, I think we've already shown what, what will happen in that case because, again, we go back to Boxing Day, that horrific game against Bolton and the position we were in the league table, and then we turned it around after that and went on a run of good form, and lo and behold, the calls for, for the ownership to go went quiet. The conversation's got to be, um, yes, okay, the most important thing is always results on the pitch, but it, it, the conversation's always got to be the package as a whole. So what's happening off the pitch? Because if results weren't going well, Okay, Stuart Donald can't, you know, step on the pitch. He's not going to score a hat-trick or anything like that and get us back up the league. So if we saw progress off the pitch and they were really kind of, you know, you could see the academy, you could see competent people being put in place, you could see the right people being put in place and they were making the right decisions and it just wasn't working, they'd get a little bit of goodwill. But when you see what's happening off the pitch and the deterioration on that side and in the academy, in and around the place, you know, especially after that great start, you can see that deterioration, but at the same time, as I said, if results are going right, that conversation's going to go quiet again.
0: Do you think in terms of, you know, Charlie making these appearances on these shows and it it does seem like a bit of a deliberate attempt to, to kind of shift blame and, and divert attention away. But do you, do you think that's hiding deficiencies in areas that, that genuinely matter, as you've mentioned about things like the Academy and things like that? I think as a fan base, it seems like we've all tried to bring the attention to, you know, external parties in terms of big news publications and things like that. And the common response that you'll get is, well, you know, we thought that you liked the owners and, you know, it seems that the only fallout that you've had with the owners is just because they don't go on podcasts or they're not as open or they don't sit in the away end uh, in grounds anymore. So do you do you think by doing these appearances that, I mean, this is purely speculative on my part, but, you know, do you, do you think there's any kind of method behind this or do you, do you think this is perhaps just Charlie's views?
2: I think, you know, obviously they don't get the the kind of attention that Sunderland would have got, even if we're in the championship. And we know that their communication strategy from the beginning was to engage with fan media, which they did. We and Wiseman Say, A Love Supreme allowed them access to the platforms that we have. I do see it as it's part of their strategy to engage with online media because the traditional media aren't really going to engage with them. I mean, obviously they've they've had the big publicity boost around um the Sunderland till I die, et cetera. Obviously and and Charlie's um celebrity has uh, celebrity <laughs> star as has, has shone a little bit brighter because of his um constant appearance on our screens on Netflix. So I mean He's gonna try and get his voice out in as softer arena as possible—breakfast radio, YouTube channels, that that kind of thing, where he can quickly brush over the detail and create his own narrative. This is this is what they do. They're all about. And and when I say they, these political communications experts and right wing columnists, they're about controlling the narrative and about creating division and doubt and um, questioning. People's perception of reality i'll come back to the same idea that this is essentially a gaslighting tactic that they've used ever since they've failed to sell the club to fpp
0: a few of the other comments that have come to light i think we get, we'll i just touch on this before i mentioned the, the comment but we're all family men we have children but charlie mentions within this particular video uh, podcast uh, a suggestion that Fans who care about their club don't have much else in their lives and that the North East is a weird place to be. Now, I can only speak on my part here, but I find that just an incredible thing to to say. I mean, by all means, we've all got our priorities, but our number one hobby, of course, is our football club. But you, you can't really make comments like that. That is, It's just kind of purely PR 101 that you don't want to disenchant or, or certainly alienate your punters.
2: I think, again, this, it, it, there's a tactic behind this. We, we speak and write about these things in depth. We think about them in depth on Rock Report, I Love Supreme, on Wise Men Say, on, on other fan outlets. People are thinking and writing in depth and spending a lot of their own time thinking and writing in depth and showing them for what they are. So by suggesting that it's only some obsessive fans got nothing else in their lives that's that's a tactic to separate out the people who were who are speaking up the loudest from everyone else who who doesn't have the privilege of the platform that we have it's it's cynical in the extreme
3: i slightly i I disagree (laughs) i i I disagree that i think you're giving him too much credit i i think he's the type of person who's always getting away with being able to say what he wants and i think he's the type of person now where quite often and i think we saw this in netflix where sounds come out of his mouth and without anything being engaged uh before those (laughs) noises come out and i I, but i think he's he's been and you you mentioned it i think he's been in an environment feature so for so long where he can just he can do that and nothing comes of it, you know, whether it's in his own companies or whether it's PR or media or whatever it is, he's been in an environment where he's able to do that. And it's, it's a kind of, well. so what, that, that that's getting me to where I am today. And, I think his, his comments were just purely that's what he thinks and, and the noises came out. And I don't think, I think you're giving him too much credit for him being calculated in that way. But I think if you if you take those comments in isolation, what he's shown with those comments is that he doesn't get it. Now, he's talking about Sunderland fans being so passionate about the club because they've got nothing else. Now, that's, again, just him being unfiltered and just and just coming out with it. But it's it's him seeing how passionate the Sunderland fans are about their club and it's, it's a North East thing. Because we're so we're so tribal about what you know our football club and the passion we've got for it, and he doesn't get that, and it's he it's him trying to compute how passionate we are about it, and he's decided I think probably just because he's prejudiced against the area probably that we just have got nothing else in the world to, to concentrate on, and I, that that's my opinion. I I, I don't think he's as calculated as he's giving him credit for.
2: Oh, I I think I think he's shown himself uh, able to use underhand tactics when he wants. I'm not going to say much. More about that than than than, than that because I, I I can't put the evidence out there. But uh,
3: yeah, but I'd say he's obvious when he does that. Well,
2: yeah, I mean, some of it is is very easy to see if you read between the lines. Shall we say? Um, but yeah. I do think it brings us on like a, a slightly different issue, which is whether it's Charlie Metthin or Stuart Donald or whether Juan Satori comes in and uses his new British residency to buy the club, or whether it goes to another group of individuals from from wherever this country or another country coming in and, and taking control of the club we c- we really as a as a as a fan group can't let this happen again in my view and maybe we are obsessive and maybe we are overly involved emotionally in our football club compared to say oxford united fans but we do have a a, a supporter base that is large and passionate and involved and keen to to put things right, and and I think that's got to be the next steps for for Sunderland fans, really.
3: What I would like to say, though, just just on that point, and in no way, because it, it makes absolutely no sense. Did uh, Stuart Donald and Charlie Methven come in and you know do it for a laugh? They, they desperately wanted success because you imagine the profile that they were going to get if they took Sunderland all the way back mm-hmm. up to the Premier League. You know, what I mean, I'm not saying they wanted to do it for the right reasons, but they wanted to make a success of it. I think
2: Charlie described it as a sporting challenge. In that clip, didn't he?
3: Yeah. They knew the rewards for them. I mean, being being club owners in the Premier League was going to I mean, imagine what it was going to do to them on mm-hmm. a personal level.
2: Yeah, I mean it's just 350 million quid in your in your pocket. I was
0: gonna say, I think one thing that I'm sure that we all agree on, we certainly wouldn't begrudge anybody making, you know, any sort of profits of such, providing it was done in the the right way, Absolutely. if it was the case that we got promoted. I mean, because we still really do not know the full factual bought the club with its own money sort of argument. Well everything about that really because there's so many variations of the story that's been put out there. But if it was the case that the club was bought legitimately and it was done in a in a proper way, if they got us promoted and you know, right now we were set to resume football in the championship, if they sold us and made made money, would say that's absolutely fine, you can go on your merry way. But I think what is certainly sparking fury is you know the, these continuous disparaging remarks. Really, um, I mean, there was there was another one that is is kind of discussed within this this conversation that he has with uh, with the gentleman on YouTube, where he mentions about patience not existing in the Northeast. And I think, you know, you've both rightly touched on the Northeast. It's a very very um, well, it's a hotbed for football. Everybody always says mm-hmm. that. Um, but to to kind of touch on about the patience and things like that, I mean, let's be fair. We, we give them as much time, really, as they needed. We rolled out the, the welcome carpet for them. We had 32,000 there for the first game of the season against Charlton. You know, we had 46,000 against Bradford, almost 10,000 at Blackpool. We, we backed and supported them the full way, and they had absolutely every ounce of support that we had. And I just found it somewhat ironic that they mentioned the word, like, patience and things like that, because I, I think in terms of their actions, you know, they actually told us on a podcast, with Stewart, when he spoke with, with Graham, it was it was the day of the Portsmouth game um, of the season, just cut her tailed and and Graham made comments saying that, you know, he felt like Jack Ross wasn't his man, this, that, and the other. Um and he asked for Stewart to to give a response and state why he was the right man for Sunderland. And that's one of the things he touched on. He said that he felt that we needed a bit of patience. We needed allow time for these sign-ins to embed. And then lo and behold, it was less than eight weeks later that they actually sacked him. And they turned around and said, oh, you know, he's not going to be achieving this target, this, that, and the other. So I think using words like patience and saying that we don't have any, it's it's somewhat little unfair. I appreciate, you know, there will be people who rant and rave at the Stadium Light every week and and demand success. But Let's be fair. We've just had the two lowest positions ever in the entire club's history. So, you know, you've mentioned things like whitewashing, uh, rich, but I, I think it's slightly unfair to, to at least have a go at us for patience when 3 years ago we were we were a Premier League football club. I think we do have every right to have an expectancy that we should not be as low as we are.
2: Well, absolutely. I mean, it's it it is our lowest ebb, and we can't ignore the fact that of of where we are right now, you know, we're we're a uh, just above mid-table League One side. Um, You can argue the rights and wrongs of of average points per game, but that's that's the system that mm-hmm. everyone's been um uh, lumbered with and we're just above mid-table edging the, uh, the 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 playoffs league 1 side and we're a league 1 side in a league that we don't know when it's going to come back how it's going to come back how many teams are going to be in it how many teams are going to survive this period of being of having their squads decimated with with the, the the contracts um expiring having their young players and their best players picked off by more financially viable club um, in the leagues above and not having a viable business model to run football without massive TV revenues and without anyone coming through the, the gates. Or even if they can get, as they've done in Denmark, a few people into the ground, you know, one in every 10 seats taken up, that's not going to pay the bills. Um, even with all the wage caps and um, squad size caps that you want, it just won't work. So we've, we've got to think creatively as a fan base
3: yeah i mean on the on the subject of patience Craig I mean i think i think the sunland fans haven't got very much patience for incompetence no yeah when you make bold statements and when you say we're going to do this and we're going to do that uh, we we take that and we go well okay well that's your target and when they don't make that target then we quite rightly call them out on it if you make bold statements saying the target is 100 points and the target is the title and they don't get to those targets I mean what what do they want us to turn around and say oh well unlucky we finished seventh. I mean well I don't know what they expect our reaction to be from that if they say oh well the club's not very patient don't say we're going to get 100 points and then we're seventh in the league I mean we're going to give you some criticism for that if they don't expect that they either don't know football very well or they're in for the for the wrong reasons i mean you know they sack jack ross and as you said you know they said oh we've you know let let him bed in we we're gonna have patience with him uh, okay he had a he had a he had a bad patch they pulled the trigger Ah, uh, fair enough that's a decision you make and they say right we're going to make an appointment to to get us into the top mm-hmm. two uh, okay right they get some with experience right well let's go and we're outside of the playoffs so we criticized the appointment because it, it hasn't worked it hasn't done what they've set out to do <laughs> what, what what does he want us to do as a fan base when they say we're going to do this and we're going to do that? I mean, that's that's when they step up to the plate and,
2: and do it. Yeah, well, I mean, one thing that Charlie Metford during this uh, lockdown period has come out with is he, he's given quite a clear indication of what he expects or wants football fans to do in his in his uh, plan. Very well received by the Football Supporters Association. It represents fans. Red and White Army is as close involvement with them. He's called on supporters trusts to be given a, a route to take shares in clubs. Through the means of the Football Finance Authority, which would essentially bail out shareholders in football clubs, failing football clubs like himself, so there's there's an element of self interest in that. But him and and Damien Collins, his old mate, have um, have come together and put together what is actually, and I will give him credit for this. It is the most viable plan uh, for the for the future sustainability of, of football uh, below the Championship that that anyone else has 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 put together, and that involves us creating a supporters trust. And loans that the government would give through a football finance authority being convertible loans, which could then be transferred to shares and and, and the shares be taken up by supporters, trusts or local authorities or a combination of the two. That model moves us quite explicitly, according to, to Damien Collins, MP, in the direction of the 50 plus 1 rule, which operates in, in Germany, which would put us on a, on a viable financial footing and would ensure that we had not just non-executive directors with good intentions, but actual board members with authority and accountability to other fans to make sure that this kind of thing cannot happen again, that our owners don't lie to us and that they don't try and play us off against one another. And to be frank, the creation of the supports trust should be our main focus at the minute as a supporters base. And I know that the Red and White Army are imminently going to announce an emergency general meeting at which this will be on the agenda. The creation of a sports trust with a, a small membership fee, which would be able to raise the funds and galvanise the, the support base around the idea of an element of fan ownership at Sunderland. Because if it's going to happen anywhere... If there's going to be a loyal, involved, passionate and big enough supporter base in this country to, to take control of a club that is failing is is cannot be given the the state of the the country and the state of football that far from going out of business to to make sure that that is there long term as an asset for the community i'm i'm the red and white army rep for rug report and i will be supporting that motion at egm and i I call on other fans to if you're not already signed up to red and white army you can do that for free on the website and you can attend the egm and you can vote on it and have your say
0: I think that's a very important point that you do raise rich and know that in this whole Donald out Donald in movement there has been an awful lot of fans who have perhaps felt that their voice wasn't heard and there have been statements to say you know you speak for me you don't speak for me I don't think there was ever any intention of of any you know kind of groups to to say that they, they speak on behalf of others or anything like that certainly not from a fan seems perspective but for those who are certainly wanting to get involved and they are wanting to get their points across then I think would certainly encourage that that you do go ahead and get involved I'll make sure of course from our end that that any news that does come out the red and white army of course we'll be retweeting that onto our feeds and i know that um they can join like their mailing list and things like that just kind of moving on into our final few bits of of topic here and this is probably the most outlandish of claims from charlie's interview um it basically came out with the claim that we have improved in every single transfer window since they've took over um Bit, bit of a weird random thing for him to come out with, but go on, I'll throw this out of the pair of you. Um, we've progressively got worse, surely. That everybody can see that. Well,
3: if they're getting the first one, well, the second, second one, one, the first January one would be in the championship right now. Um, it's as simple as that. They screwed it up. Madja went, they brought Will Gregg in. Yeah, okay, lots of people wanted it. I, I I, can vouch on the Roker Report live transfer deadline day podcast that night that I said I thought it was a bad idea. I'd never really rated them, didn't think it would work, uh, and it hasn't. And it, but it's the nature of the beast. You get relegated and your funds go down, especially with the way you know, the parachute, we know the parachute money is going to dry up at some point, so we're obviously going to tie the purse strings up. And it's the nature of the beast of getting relegated. Every, every window, generally, your squad is going to get worse. And with all the will in the world, we can't go out and go buy championship players because we're not in the championship, and we can't afford to pay championship wages to... To bring them here, you know, to play in League One for a year, there's no guarantees, and and that's the that's the nature of the beast, and and we've we've got to try and plan to build a squad just to get out of League One window by window. It's going to get worse.
2: Yeah, I think that is a slightly strange statement. Obviously, we've added some good players to the squad. I mean, I have to say, all right, Bailey Wright did have a track record of injury, but his, his quality was there for everyone to see. Jordan Willis has been a, a revelation. I have to say, one of the the best defensive players I've seen play for Sunderland in the last few years, whether whatever league we're in. I think he's, he's an excellent footballer all round. And, and we've, we've unearthed a couple of gems as well, particularly in, in Luke O'Neill. Um Somebody who embodies everything that any supporter wants to see in a player. But when it comes to those crucial signings, I mean, I have to say, Chris, you were, you were, your foresight is uh, unrivaled. <laughs> I was hopeful that, that Griggs' reputation, you know, live up to the reality or the reality would live up to the the expectation. But I'd, I had a certain scepticism that somebody who wasn't able to get into Wigan's struggling championship team last year would necessarily be the answer. And overall, their, their management of contracts of younger players, something they spoke about on this podcast in autumn 2018, has been crucial and something that they, they were looking at and that they understood what had gone wrong with previous regimes and contracts. We, we haven't seen them be able to tie our best young players down to contracts at all. Indeed, we've seen the opposite. We've seen our best young players being picked off by the, the clubs in, in higher divisions, in other divisions in Europe. And it's extraordinarily disappointing. So I think in terms of the the overall recruitment, it just simply hasn't been good enough been that too many players brought in who the managers haven't seen fit to use I'm not going to get into whether Park is the right man or not I...
0: he's not going anywhere anytime soon is he
2: well Maybe. not unless we have so, new owners, no
3: yeah, yeah. But I'd, I'd just like to clarify I mean what I was trying to get across there, probably not in the, the best way by saying I think we're going to get worse but is I mean I'm just taking Luke 9 as, as an example that I think fantastic fantastic uh, player for where we are, fantastic lad. You know, you, you hit the nail on the head exactly the type of character we want in the squad, especially where we are. But I'm I'm still not, if we go promoted, I'm not 100% sure he, how well he'll cope with the championship. Could he make that step up? And that's kind of what I'm saying is that you bring in League One quality players who you hope would step up mm. Um, instead of buying, you know, if we were in the championship, we'd be hopefully you know, if we were confident about it, we'd be buying championship standard players, but we can't do that. So we're always going to be buying that player who's that level below. Um, and I'm not saying we can't build a big a team with it. And that, that's, that's different. I mean, I think that's one of the mistakes we, we did with Greg. We went out for the big name instead of really trying to build that team to get us promoted to play like a team in the way that Jack Ross wanted us to play.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that's probably an ample time to wrap it up. I would certainly encourage for those who are yet to see the interview, by all means, head over to YouTube and you should well really uh, form your own opinion. I suppose the video itself does last for for over an hour. Uh, There is more comments that discusses Chris Coleman's departure, as well as obviously the reason why apparently Jack Ross was the ideal man. Um, So, yeah, by all means, check that out. As for us, uh, we will be back in the next few days as we are finally set to release the Chris Coleman podcast. So I would thank everybody for the patience with that. Um, There will be an explanation in that podcast Mm. as to why it's took a little while longer than we would have liked to get released. Uh, But for our part, that's it from us. Uh, Rich, thank you very much. Cheers, man. Nice to speak to you. And Chris, thank you very much as well for speaking to us rather than, you know... Chairmans and vice chairmans and, and all of these other star players that you spoke with of late. it's a pleasure but yeah for, for more of our interviews and former player podcasts like i said we do have managers assistant managers stars from the 92 cup run and more coming up and if you do want to listen to that just make sure that you subscribe on either ACAST, apple podcasts spotify and youtube but that's it for us let's hope that the club don't do anything else silly and then hopefully we won't have to release any more podcasts in the meantime thanks for listening yeah.